myself Suddenly I'm up on top of the world It should have been somebody else Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free Flying away on a wing and a prayer Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me Okay, welcome back, Blues, to part two of our Burnley Review Pod. And in the house, as you know, we have Walter Smith, Victoria Gregory, David Gregory, and Colin Savage with me, Bolt from the Blue. Victoria, were you gratified at another example of David Silva's alertness in the box? Because if you remember where he won us the game against Hoffenheim, where he stole the ball... Uh, where everyone was not aware of what was going on. It was the same situation here because other people were waiting for the whistle and Silva just went, saw that, and he just Mm -hmm. went into the box just like he did against Hoffenheim, Vic. Yeah, his talent, what he does, is incredible and it's, it's really great to see him kind of back to that magical level. I think, you know, last season he had a very tough season for personal reasons, even though he did continue playing and and training as much as possible. But personally, that was a very difficult time to go through. Now, all of that's behind him and looking forward, he just seems to be getting, like, better and better as he gets older. Um, I'm wine. Complete freak of nature. David, um, other fans of other teams are complaining about that and saying that that shouldn't have been given. But surely, you know, if you think about the double offside handball goal that the ref gave against us against Wolves, and when you think about back to last season, I mean, surely this is, you know, rewarding us for those atrocities that we suffered last season. Yeah, I, I feel at times, maybe John Moss's side, I feel sympathy with most referees because you've got 22 crooks and con men who go down like they've been hit by a, a, a bookshop, you know, <laughs> for the slightest thing. You know, the ball goes out, clearly bounces off you, you put your hand up straight away and say, my ball, and the referee has to make sense of all this. Can I just go back to your lock pickers comment which, uh-huh. uh, from your reader, uh, that the lock pickers and can openers? Five goals... Five different scorers. Years ago, it was always felt, if you stopped Colin Bell, you stopped City. Well, if you stopped David Silva, you've got another Silva, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, or any of whom can do it. And it's that, you know, players, more than one in every position of a similar skill. And we have got the... Our future looks absolutely scintillating with all this talent. And they're only young. I'm so excited. For, for what, where this club can go. Guys, I've got a controversial question for you. <laughs> went on um, Twitter, and a lot of guys were saying, is John Moss a couple of stones overweight to be a referee in the Premier League? I heard yeah. he failed a fatness test. Right. <laughs> Ultimately, you're dealing with probably the most expensive, the most lucrative league in the world. And you're looking, if, if your job, you know when you talk about, you've seen the website, you only had one job. Their job is to keep up a certain fitness level. If you're a fireman, I heard you've got to do the same. And if you don't get up to this certain fitness level, you know, especially with the amount they've been rewarded, you know, and the lifestyle that they lead, 
you know, they get to go to these football games. You know, they get to referee. They're on match of the day every, you know, every week. And I just think we we turn them into professionals to give them this opportunity to be as fit as possible and be as accurate as possible whilst they're on the pitch. And John Moss, I mean, God bless him, as they say, he's, for me, he is under that standard. And if you look at the, almost like if uh, Sani turned up at the same weight in any way, shape or form as John Moss, he'd be laughed out of the club. And John Moss, I think, is... Honestly, the way I was looking at him, I think he's a bit of a disgrace because he's that far off the play at times. And football's got quicker, and we've turned them into professionals to make themselves better and quicker. And he's certainly not doing that, and that should be his number one priority. When he's not refereeing, he's got all day to get himself down the gym to do the training. So when he turns up on a Saturday, he can do his job to the best of his ability that his body will allow him. And John Moss is letting himself down and his profession down by turning out like that. Victoria, Pepe G kicked my favourite player of all time, Samir Nazari, out of our team because he was half a stone mm-hmm. overweight as well. This is important for referees, isn't it? Oh, completely, yeah. I'm, I'm just looking on Twitter now and there's somebody, somebody, Gaz Warrington said, he's like a fat Sunday league ref who just jogs around the centre circle all game. <laughs> saying like, he's never on the top He's never on the television and in shot when there is an incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, that's key with some of these decisions that are being made and he's nowhere near it to be able to make that judgment. Guys, have you, if you've ever played squash against someone who's good at squash, they tell you that the best thing that you can do is just sit on the D, the little D in the middle, so that you don't have to go running around chasing every ball. And I felt that was a little bit the way John Moss played the game. But guys, we do have to move on. So I'm going to ask uh, Colin. Colin, goal three, 56 minutes, Fernandinho. So a corner was cleared as far as Fernandinho on the edge of the area and he launched a lane guided missile. City are beginning to rack up the worldies now. Now, he doesn't score many, but he does score some crackers. And uh, Colin, uh, Fernandinho, he never seems to put the ball just wide of the post on either side. It's either top bins or somewhere over the top of the south stand. What do you think? Well, I mean, you couldn't accuse Fernandinho of being a tapping merchant, could you? No way. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, occasionally he has these wild kind of swings from distance, and it will sail over the top, as you say. But what I loved about that goal, it was just a side foot. You know, yeah. it wasn't swing his foot at hit and hope. He picked out his spot absolutely perfectly. It was very reminiscent of uh, Mario's first goal against United in the 6-1. Just that not in terms of the power, but the placement, you know, or the, the, height. <laughs> the control and the placement of that. <laughs> but it looks spectacular from the stands, that's for sure. David, on the 58th minute, let me read you a comment from the Guardian newspaper. Kevin De Bruyne was brought on for Bernardo Silva. And the Guardian put this wonderful headline up saying that when De Bruyne was brought on for Bernardo, this was unnecessary cruelty. And within... <laughs> Within within two minutes, David, there was this beautiful blind reverse pass. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> only on the only on the TV. I'd love to have seen that live. But again, you're talking about somebody who is an exceptional talent. All these guys are, are super intelligent footballers, and you know that where the space is, probably a, only a fraction of a second ahead of what's going to happen. And you make it happen. And that is Kevin. And to think we are now where we are. And all bar one game, we haven't had Kevin playing. 
So, as I said before, the future. Oh, so glad he's time again, Walter. Walter, so that BBR, <laughs> the beautiful blind reverse pass by De Bruyne, could you describe that for listeners who didn't get the chance to see it? He plays it through to Mares cutting out the whole defence, but it doesn't even look, he doesn't appear to look where he's playing. The ball comes across to him and he just hits it straight into Mares's path. Just an absolute piece of... That's what we pay to go to the football ground to see. I mean, I was looking at Ferrandinho's goal and somebody described the Balotelli one and it was the best one I heard was that he snookered it into the corner. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Steve Davis I think, And I also love is the fact he thought... I almost imagine him as he's just about to strike that ball going, let's strike this on Joe Hart's left, see if he's changed. <laughs> nope. In <laughs> <Here> it goes. <laughs> Victoria, so. <laughs> on the 66th minute, Gabby J was uh, subbed on for Aguero. Ten minutes later, he sent on the Stockport Iniesta, Phil Foden for David Silva. Now, Martin Samuel, who's a journalist that I respect, immediately brought up the whole question of Raheem Sterling and his contract situation, Vic, and he said that it wouldn't be the greatest tragedy if Sterling went off and joined Real Madrid, who's struggling for a win at the moment, because that would mean that Real Mares would be promoted, Phil Foden would be promoted, and all would be well in the kingdom of Man City. What do you think about uh, Martin Samuel's comments there, about why we shouldn't really be worried about whether Sterling leaves or not? Now, this is a, this is a tricky, controversial question. What do you think, Vic? I don't agree with that at all. Um, I've, I said last week and, and earlier today, I think, about it's the depth of, of squad that we need. You know, there's a fairly ridiculous number of matches that has to be played in all the various competitions, and you do need that depth of squad. And as I t- talked about last week, I don't believe that Foden is ready to be starting games yet. Mm. Um, so I don't think he is ready to be promoted into that you know, starting position, playing 90 minutes. So, no, I don't, don't agree with Martin there. Uh, my view is, yeah, we should do everything we possibly can to keep top players in our club, but mm. not at any cost. Mm. And yeah. when you've got a player who, if he doesn't want to stay, then you've got to say, thanks very much for all you've done, cheerio, because the club and the the, the team unity is more important than mm. anything else. I think the other, the other great thing with City now, it's no one player is bigger than the club. Not, you know, a one superstar team. And I mean, look at Kevin's been out injured. We've not, you know, the team hasn't fallen apart. It's not one any player. Yeah, that yeah. You know, there's there's a very, very good apart. contract on the table. And, and I think, you know, it's up to you. And, you know, mm-hmm. bless you. If you want to move on, that's fine. We will not boo you when you yep. come back. No. I think it would be a mistake on Sterling's part as well, because mm. I think he, he is great. At, how can I put this? In Pep's team, he is great because of the sum of the parts. Uh, yes, I couldn't agree more. In a, mm. in a way that perhaps uh, Mo Salah isn't in Liverpool's team. You know, he's a very good player, and uh, uh, no doubt playing uh, uh, Liverpool play around him. I think Salah could go anywhere and do what he does, uh, which is a kind of compliment to him. But I think Sterling has found his place in, in this yeah. Pep team, and he brings Pep, the, the system we play, the players got around him, brings so much out of him that Madrid would be a completely different kettle of fish. And, and you've got to look at Real Madrid and, and, and think, are they, you know, are they in the right place at this time? A bit like United. You know, are they a, are they a, a power who is now on the downward slope? 
Yeah, it's the it's comment that you made a lot earlier about Fergie leaving nothing. Fergie stayed for one more year because we won the title mm. in 2012. And he, he left an ageing team, and that's what Real have got, an ageing team. And they can't see where the new blood is coming from. So, so I mean, a lot of it's paper talk as well. You know, you can yeah. look around and who... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, and sometimes it can turn a player's head. But the demands on a player like Raheem, at City, he would be forgiven for most things. You know, we'll get behind him all the time. You go to these, you know, massive clubs, and we are a massive club, I, I'm not suggesting that. But you go there, the demands on you are going to be totally different. That was the point that Walter made. He said that um, yep. if he does go to Real Madrid and he, he, do, he has that... That sort of profligacy and he misses uh, easy chances. Walter said they would be outside jumping up and down on top of his car. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, Colin, um, yeah. the, the Guardian said that despite the wonderful introduction of Kevin De Bruyne, that in fact Phil Foden had made the more noticeable change when he came on because when he came on he played the slickety slickest of one-twos with Maris allowing him for a cross that Gabby J headed straight at Joe Hart and then not much later he combined with Kevin De Bruyne in a move that led to Maris's goal the Guardian says the way that he turns and drives into space is just filthy and the little touches of skill and here's the key part he looks ordained like a protestant minister ordained to solve england's midfield problems colin what do you think about that i could have written that myself mike um yeah i mean i thought uh, we, we saw touches of, of kevin de bruyne um kevin de bruyne's mastery of the ball but i thought overall he looked a little bit rusty and that time out had um obviously he'll take take him a couple of games to get back of course Foden yeah. is Absolutely phenomenal player, and I think a lot of us have said about Foden, oh, he's a bit too young to be starting, we can't risk him, but I think he's making a huge claim um, for, for a starting spot. And if you think about, go back a couple, maybe a couple of seasons, where we, you think, if David Silver and Kevin De Bruyne aren't playing, oh, you know, the, the nerves kick in. And now we've got, if Kevin De Bruyne and, and David Silver aren't playing, we've got Bernardo Silver and Phil Foden, who look just as good. And to, it just picks up what David was saying before. It's so exciting. We've got so many classy players. And one of the criticisms, when we bought Mares, people said, why do we need Mares? And I answered them by saying, well, you know, we could be playing 60 games a season. We expect to get to the latter reaches of the Champions League. We expect to do well in the FA Cup. We expect to do well in the League Cup. Add that onto the 38 games we play in the Premier League. And, and we start generally with three forwards. And two of those are Aguero and, and Gabby Jesus. Now, we also start with two wide players, generally. Sane, Sterling, Mares. So that's kind of 120 slots you've got to fill over the course of a season. And most players won't play more than 40-odd games a season. So even Fernand, we say Fernandinho's overplayed, but he rarely plays more than 35, 36 games a season. Uh, maybe it gets up to the 40 level. So about the 40 out of 60 level is the level, the number of games that most players, active players, will play. So to me, when you've got Mahrez, Sane and Sterling, you've got 40 games each to, to play, maybe a bit more than that. And it's the same in midfield. You know, we cannot play. You cannot play David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne every game. But now we've got Foden, who looks really looks the part. And whether 
to, to go back to something we were saying even earlier uh, about Pep, the way English football has changed. Pep has done that in a couple of seasons, and we're now seeing England playing, trying to play like a Manchester City team. I think two or three seasons ago, a player like Foden probably wouldn't have, have fitted into the more physical, you know, run around a lot, uh, put your body around type of England team we used to see. But but now I think under Gareth Southgate, you know, we haven't. We now potentially have that link between the more, deep, you know, that, I don't know what Jordan Henderson's doing in a bloody England team, but you know, all right, he does a job, a limited. A job which is limited. Plugger. <laughs> but you've got that player who can get forward, who can break break the lines uh, in the way that the, the, the Indian team in the World Cup really wasn't doing. Walter, 83 minutes, goal number four, Mares. Now, Fernandinho teed up Riyad Mares to do something that he's beginning to make a name for himself now. We've seen him now in a few games, and he keeps doing this. He keeps, like, lining himself up in front of the defence and curling home goals. And this is very gratifying because a lot of people were saying that City are tap-in merchants, but in this game there was ample evidence that City are quite prepared to attack from outside the box. And Riyad Mahrez curled home an absolute missile for the fourth. They kept trying to show him onto his right foot, but he kept finding a way to come back onto that left and stick it in. What did you think of that goal, Walter? It was a beauty and it got me out of my seat. It's, uh, it's not a pep goal. It's uh, a Riyad Mahrez goal yeah. in terms of... That's a good thing. Arguably, that's why Pets brought him in, something slightly different, you know, so you're not predictable, so you can give the opposition another thing to worry about. Uh, it wasn't a tap-in. We didn't shift the, the, the defence all over the place. He's got the ball with a piece of beautiful individual skill, and he's caught that ball, and you can see the bend on it just to take it in the top corner, and you can see Joe Hart looking at it thinking, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And I don't think Joe Hart's ever let five in at the Etihad before, certainly. David, goal number five, Leroy Sané. And Sané converts a Benjamin Mendy cross. Now, was there evidence in this game, David, that Mendy's crossing was beginning to resemble some of that that he did last season before he got injured? Yes, I, I'm sure it is. I think um, Peps had a little word <laughs> with Benjamin and said, just <laughs> calm down a little bit and uh, concentrate on what you're actually supposed to be doing. I got very worried a, a few matches ago when he was, you know, yeah, you want attacking wing, uh, full-backs, but you've also got to have a full-back that comes back and does the job he's there principally to do. But he does cross a beautiful ball, and he will continue to do that. Of course, by this, and I'd also say when Phil Foden came on, Burnley were a spent force by that time. You know, and it, and it was literally, let's get this game over with as quickly as we possibly can and go and have a shower and go home. And Joe's reaction to the post on his left-hand side said it all. We are irresistible when we play and everybody's on song. And, you know, it could have been more. And that's just being greedy. Victoria, I've got to ask you this question. One of the things that the Gruffalo, a.k.a. Sean Dyche, said... <laughs> at the end of the game, was about this incident with Leroy Sane and arguing that Leroy should have been sent off. And let me give you his quote. He said, with Sane right at the end, it's 
got to be a red card. He kicked Matt Loughton for no reason at all, just smashing him around his legs. It's got to be a red card, as simple as that. Vic, did you notice that moment, and what did you think of it? I don't think it was. I, th- I mean, I think by that point, Sean's just had a very bad day at the office, hasn't it? And it's desperation. It's not happy with anything at all. I, I, I don't think again. I don't think that was a red card. I think he, he by that point he's just. He's had enough. He wants to go home. I guess referee John Moss's ears got a good sandpapering from the Gruffalo after <laughs> that one. I, I, I think he had a better case for Sane than he did for uh, Cumbly, possibly. Uh, although at the time it just looked like uh, Sane trying to get his leg round to win the ball. But obviously when I saw it later, clearly it was a kick. And I think he possibly was a bit lucky. I'd come back and say... I think Matt Lowton was lucky to be on the pitch because he'd left his studs on Fernandinho, I think, at one point. Didn't get, um, I might have been even been off the ball. And there was another incident with Sane in the first half where Sane had gone past him and nutmegged him uh, and he body checks on. And again, we got a foul, but there was no card. But I think Matt Lowton was lucky not to be going into the second half with a yellow card and also lucky not to have got a second yellow over the Fernandinho. I think it was him on Fernandinho. And there was another off the ball on, on Silver. I don't, it wasn't Lowton. But yeah, I think Deitch is a better point with, with the Sane one. But I, th- there seemed to have been something going on between them throughout the game. But mm. uh, what it showed for me, and there was another incident, um, you know, in that last 10 minutes, compared to the Fulham game, where we sort of gave up at 3-0, we were still 80 minutes, 81 minutes, we were still pressing them deep in their half, uh, which to me was really impressive. So we were 3-0 up at that point, 80 minutes, and we were still pressing forward quite hard. And it showed sort of the passion that the players had, even at that late stage in the game. You know, there was there was no sitting back. Well, I think that's one of the things that we see with this team now. You know, even when you are 5-0 up, they don't take the foot off the gas. They don't stop. They continue to play for that entire game. And that's something that we've seen for the last, you know, last season. And but, there is no, well, you know, it's 5-0, let's... Let's give them a break now. They continue playing for that full 90 I think, minutes. I think there was a criticism against Fulham that we did... Was it Fulham or Brighton? I can't remember. But we did kind of relax a bit. Fulham where we went 3-0 up early in the second half. And we did relax a little bit, I think. Uh, and I think Pep's trying to knock that out of them, which is a good thing. Uh, I mean, David Silva's work rate was just phenomenal on Saturday. Goal difference could be very, very important. It could be as important as it was in 2012. So you've got to. Keep going, and, and when you've got them on the ropes, finish them off. You, you can't take your foot off the gas and think, oh, we've, we've done it. Sometimes you've got to look at the, the matches that are to come and the players that are going to take a part in it. But in this case, with Raheem on the bench, with Kyle Walker not playing, I think he'd, he'd given them licence to go and finish this job, really put them to the sword. And, and not because it's Joe. I think Joe just had to be, sadly, had to be on the receiving end of it. OK, guys, that'll do us for the game. But I'm going to ask David and Colin to join me in wishing best wishes to Tony Coton. Now, Tony Coton mm. is a guy who's recovering from major quintuple. I've never even heard of that before. Major quintuple heart surgery. I think, Vic, you probably might remember Tony Coton. Now, he was he was a uh, man city from 1990 to 1996 
Let me just give you the little summary. Before the start of the 1990-91 season, Coton was bought for just under one million by Howard Kendall. Now, at that time, he was bought as one of the most expensive goalkeepers to be signed by any British club. He went on to win City Player of the Year award in both 91-92 and 93-94 seasons. And, of course, you'll remember that we finished fifth in the first division during his first two seasons at Main Road under Kendall's protege, uh, Peter Reid, and then ninth in the first Premier League season. However, after that, we dipped to 16th in 94 and 17th in 95. But even during those periods, he remained the first choice goalkeeper under Reid and Brian Horton. Can I just just quickly butt in? Sure, Victoria. that you think I'm, I'm not old enough to remember Tony Cotton, but I definitely am. Okay. Um, and one of my all-time favourite matches and memories that I have of City at Main Road is I think we were playing Derby when Tony Cotton got sent off mm. and the Derby were awarded a penalty and Niall Quinn put on, he threw his goalkeeper's gloves on the floor and Niall Quinn put them on, went in goal and saved the goal. Niall mm. Quinn was my favourite player at that time. I absolutely loved him. So, um, But no, I do remember Tony Cohn, great goalkeeper. Victoria, yeah. has, um, has uh, Quinny's reputation been damaged in the same way that uh, Yaya Touris has, has but because um, personally I'm not aware of this because I didn't see any of this but um, everyone tells me that when I put up um, a collage recently this week of City's greatest players and I put Quinny in there they all uh, turned on me and they all said no screw that mate you can't have yeah, Quinny in and- there He's not being very complimentary about City in his commentary, with his commentary hat on now. But, you know, he was never a City fan. He's not a City supporter. He's a, he was a City player. I loved him. I had his posters on my bedroom yeah, me wall. me too. I loved him. Um, he was a great player for us. But, you know, he's, he's, he's a commentator now and he's got his opinions in a different in a different world. Well, we also didn't treat him very well getting rid of him. I mean, the, the, the spine of the team, Alan Ball, ripped apart. Yeah. Tony Colton amongst them. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they took Tony Colton, he took Keith Curl, and he took uh, Niall out of the mm-hmm. team. But all three went, yeah. in my opinion, long before they should have done. Um, well, I think it was financial, wasn't it? We were skint at that point, and we needed the money. And I think... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't really compare Tony Coton to someone like the big three, Swift, Troutman, Corrigan. But yeah, a very, very important part of our history. At a time when we were, we were threatening, if we'd had some money behind us, we would have had a very decent team. You know, we could have done quite well. With Quinney, just to, just to put in the argument, I think we have to separate what he has to say as a commentator. Definitely the TV companies have a script they want people to abide by which is why they hated it when Mike Summerby went completely off message when, in, in that derby game when he said, one of these days we're going to really put some goals past someone. And, and then the next season, of course, we put six past United in, in the equivalent game. But I know people who have met Niall Quinn and say he has nothing but good to say about City and the fans. So I think we have to separate. You have to be a bit careful when you're judging people and what they say on TV. Danny Mills, I'm prepared to put that aside. But... Um, <laughs> 
with Mark Quinn, I think that he does have a genuine affection for his time mm-hmm. at City. But the TV companies tell them to say certain things. Yeah. I, I, but, so, sorry, I, I, I hijacked the Tony Colton thread. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so our next game is tomorrow night against Paolo Fonseca's Shakhtar Donetsk with a fully rested Raheem Sterling at Kiev. Now, guys, I've done my research a little bit about this, and um, uh, this is what I learned. Shakhtar Donetsk are called the Miners or the Moles to their fans, and they play at the Metlist Stadium in Kharkiv in Ukraine. That's a 40,000 capacity stadium. Now, Kyle Walker has travelled, but we know, of course, that Danilo, Delph and Gundogan, and of course, Bravo are not in the squad. Now, listen to this, guys. Since their 2-2 home draw with Hoffenheim in the last group game, in which they blew a 2-0 lead with 20 minutes to go, they've got three wins, two draws in the Ukrainian league. Compare that with City, who have won five and drawn one. They've got two points from two games so far, and of course we have three. They're the dominant force in Ukraine. They won the domestic double in the last two seasons, and they've got probably a better... Uh, European pedigree than, than us. They won the UEFA Cup 2009 quarterfinals of the Champions League 2011 Europa League semi-final in 2016 and they have now lost just one of their last 15 European matches on Ukrainian soil with 11 of those ending in victory. Guys, this is not a game that we should look to take lightly. What do you think, Colin? Uh, no, it's not a game we should be uh, well, as the Lyon game showed uh, we shouldn't be taking any of these games lightly. I mean, when the when the draw was made, yeah, your initial reaction was, "Oh, we've got quite a good group here." But you know, th- these are all quite good teams, and, and Shakhtar, uh, and they particularly got this um, developed this knack of picking up good Brazilian players. So obviously, oh, yeah. Fernandinho is a former Shakhtar player, and, and Fernando uh, was also. Uh, but there's you know a load of players that they've uh, taken from Brazil who have come through in, uh, in playing for major clubs. So, so I, I gather that their star player Taysom is out for tomorrow. But no, you, you cannot, you simply cannot afford to take any of these games lightly. And we know Shakhtar have got some pedigree. We played them before. Obviously, they beat us last season, although there was nothing really to play for. So, so I think that that may have helped. That may help us going into this game because we know we can't afford to take that lightly. Guys, I think that the one player that we need to fear is a guy called Junior Morais. He's got the same uh, surname as R. Ederson. He scored 12 goals in 15 matches this season. He scored both goals in the away match against Lyon. And you mentioned uh, Tyson uh, there, Colin. He's actually injured his knee on October the 7th. Apparently he's out. But uh, you might remember, maybe you don't, or maybe you will, if you've been following the news that um, City have been putting out. We actually sold them a Nigerian youngster called Larry Coyote. And this was a player that City signed on a four-year deal and immediately loaned him out to Girona for the 2017-2018 season. And then uh, on the 2nd of March this year, Coyote was uh, loaned to Shakhtar Donetsk. And then on the 8th of June, uh, Donetsk decided that they were going to exercise their option to sign him permanently. The fee was undisclosed and he signed for Shakhtar on a five-year deal. And as uh, Colin mentioned, they have a total of nine Brazilians in their squad. And one of them, Colin, is a guy called Alan Patrick. Now, I've got a question for you, Colin. Do you remember another Brazilian called Alan who once, who once played against us? 
How could you not remember <laughs> Alan, uh, Red Bull Salzburg, wasn't That's it? It was a, a quite cold night. Uh, it wasn't the most exciting of games. So, like, uh, as, as tends to happen when, when the kind of focus really isn't on the pitch, the City fans tend to get a bit frisky and, and uh, kind of look for something funny to do. And then Alan came on a substitute. And that just kind of set the tone for the rest of the evening. And, and this... This collectively tickled the City fans. Uh, and the poor guy, we were, we were singing songs about him all night. I was collapsed laughing. It was so funny. And it was so typical of the City fans' almost instinctive sense of humour. And, and he couldn't understand what... You could see it in his face. Uh, he couldn't understand what the hell was going on uh, and why we were suddenly seemed to be huge fans of his. Guys, uh, and definitely- can, I, can, I, can I just read you a quote? Now, I don't know what your favourite City book is. Most of mine were written by Gary James. But there's one book that just... I started to read it one night. It was 9 o'clock, I think, in the evening. And I just emerged blinking into the sunlight at like 2 p.m. the next day. This book is called From Balty Pies to the Biggest Prize by Steve Mingle. And he describes this night when we played FC Salzburg and the infamous Allen at a game at Eastlands. Now, guys, just t- taking you back, this was um, 2010, Europa League group stage. Um, FC Salzburg finished bottom of the group. We won that group. Uh, we beat them 2-0 and 3-0. Of course, in that competition, we went on to lose 2-1 to Dynamo Kiev in the round of 16 over two legs. You, you might remember we lost the first uh, leg in Kiev when Mario had an allergy to the pitch. But um, this is what uh, Steve Mingle said about Allen. And I quote, here we go. City were coasting to victory at a snowbound Eastlands when a Salzburg substitution was announced. And the announcement said... And coming on for Salzburg, replacing number 19, Schomer, is number 27, Allen. Allen? Allen who? It certainly tickled the fans in the South Stand, who cheered Allen every time he touched the ball, and graced him with an array of chants. There's only one Allen. Allen, Allen, give us a wave. (laughs) Allen is Superman, and the funniest one of the night was... Feed Alan and he will score. <laughs> the poor the poor lad looked completely bewildered. He actually sent a message of thanks after the game, admitting that he had no idea why he had received such a uniquely warm reception from opposition fans. And as Steve Mingle says, absurdist humour can't be too prevalent in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Um, guys, have you have you ever read any books by Steve Mingle? Because personally, I think his books are absolutely hilarious. Did he also do Lowe's Highs and Balti Pies? Yeah, that was the other one in the series. It's yeah. a ruin my life. Yeah, 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 I read that one. That's very good. It's absolutely fantastic. Guys, listen, Shakhtar are unbeaten in eight meetings with English opposition on home, on home soil. And City have won only once in three attempts in Ukraine. Shakhtar have lost just two of their last 12 matches in Ukraine, and that was against Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. Now, here's the scary thing, guys. Shakhtar have scored 31 goals in 12 league matches so far this season. Now, significantly more than any other side in the Ukrainian top tier. And, here's another scary fact, guys. They have scored two or more goals in 10 of their last home matches in the Champions League. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. David. Are you going to be watching this game? Yes, we will. Are you sufficiently um, frightened? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think statistics are marvellous, but the statistics are, are reset every time. If you look at what how Pep approached 
the game at Anfield. You could see he had adapted. And he will do the same. We'll build, there'll be slight modifications, there'll be a little tweak here, a little tweak there. I have utmost confidence in Pep's ability to, it, yeah, it's to Pep, win. It's game. Pep's team as well. I think what we all learned watching the Amazon documentary, All or Nothing, is, uh, and I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that he's got just like sits and watches opposition games and how they play and what they're doing and then condenses that down into a report to give to Pep. Uh, and it's that you know it's that team that he's got round him that they'll they'll be watching exactly what Shack Attack Donuts have done um, and go there ready to play to defeat that style that they've got. Yeah. Also, the playing in Kharkiv is not Donetsk. They can't not allowed to play in Donetsk. Mm. So you right, yeah. whilst the you know you haven't got they, they are Ukrainian obviously in Kharkiv but you have, it's not the Donetsk fan base. Mm. And a lot of those stats, I mean, the Ukrainian league is, you cannot compare the Ukrainian league with what's happening in the Premier League. That's you true. know, in the Premier League, any any day, given any given day, any team can beat any other team. So and that's, Shakhtar might as well be Celtic? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a weaker league. And, and you know, you, again, what's the competition? It's a much stiffer level of competition than they have so far this season. I just wanted to say about the Shakhtar game, but my only concern concern is that, uh, particularly in the Champions League, we do seem to um, underestimate what what perhaps is seen as weaker opposition. We did it against Lyon, we were a bit slack against Hoffenheim, and that just seems to be a Champions League thing, I don't know why. So, So that's my only concern going into tomorrow. Guys, there was just uh, one point looking through my notes that I didn't get the chance to talk about. Now, in the first half of the game, there was talk of a muted atmosphere. Apparently, in the first half, there were periods of almost silence from the crowd, and it was like a training game. And um, I went on the Blue Moon Forum, and apparently the 1894 group, they have um, made an offer to City fans that you can transfer your seat allocation to their singing section for Champions League games. Do you have any views on that one? Oh, I thought the atmosphere was a uh, great atmosphere on um, Saturday, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, the plenty of games I've been to where it has been quiet. Uh, I don't recall it going deathly silent in the first half. But I mean, there was a bit of a we, we, we did go through a bit of a, a kind of a strange uh, patch. As I, we said before in that first half, it was a bit the good, the bad and the ugly at, at time. But. Um, it, certainly the second half was absolutely cracking atmosphere and, and I've got to give credit to 1894 group because they're doing a hell of a lot of work to to try and improve the atmosphere situation at City and that's something we could have a podcast on alone I suspect but um, but yeah the, the guys there were doing a fantastic job but, but I, I thought it was, it was singing almost all the way through uh, but you can't always tell on the TV of course because they, they can be very selective about how where they put the microphones and uh, and the volume. Another thing that we need to, just to conclude with is that we have to probably decide on man of the match. Now, apparently, according to all the outlets out there, everyone, there are only three candidates. Number one, David Silva, who has now made 77 Premier League assists for us in 255 appearances. And then we have uh, Fernandinho, of course. And the other one was Mares. Now, outside of those three, would you like to choose one of those guys for a man of the match? Or would you like to choose someone else? We'll start with Victoria. Uh, I'm going to go with David for my man of the match. Um, you know, for that for that goal that he created, carrying on playing when everybody else stopped and stood stationary looking at the referee. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just the way he plays, he's really got that leadership quality and, and what he does. 
So for me, on that match, David Silva. David, do you agree with your daughter, or do you want to choose someone else? Oh, yeah, else? I, I, I don't do anything else. Um, <laughs> well, saying there, there were flashes of brilliance from the, the other two candidates, but a consistent performance was David's. Mm-hmm. Colin, do you want to agree, or do you want to disagree? I would love to disagree, but um, I've got in my notes that... Um, David Silva with Fernandinho a very close second, uh, and Fernandinho was was excellent. But uh, uh, yeah, David Silva was just incredible it, in the first half. He was kind of floating. He was on the right, then he would pop up on the left, and and it, you know he would be up front. He would be a bit further back, and um, his work rate was just you know, for a, a player of his age. He's the same age as uh, I think it's about a month between him and Wayne Rooney. And you see the work rate that he gets through during a game uh, was just staggering. Um, and I actually said at the game, I think Silva must have been told he's not playing on Tuesday because he's using all his energy today. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I'd love to create a bit of controversy, but David Silva for me was just the man of the match ahead of Fernandinho. Well, guys, I will, just to, just for the devilment of it, I will create a little bit of con- controversy by saying that for me, it's got to be Mares. He missed that penalty in the last game. He was down, he was being kicked, and he came up with the goods in this game. So just to be a contrarian, <laughs> I'm going to go for Riyad Mares. Okay, Blues, time to wrap it up here on the Bolt from the Blue podcast and say a big thank you to our guests. First of all, Colin Savage. Thank you very much, Colin. It's been my pleasure to my first bolt from the blue and hopefully not the last we are talking about uh, at least one special aren't we well that's it colin and this is exciting for listeners colin could you tell our listeners what we might have in store for them in the next two weeks what we might have in store for them is a bit of a special on the peter swales era Oh, my gosh. Wow, guys, that's exciting. Okay, so the next one I want to thank is uh, David Gregory, Victoria's dad. Thank you so much, David, and we really hope you'll be able to come on again very soon. That's been been a delight. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Nice to meet, and I look forward to seeing you soon, Colin. Yes, well, hopefully we'll be back in the naughty corner. Yes, (laughs) indeed. At the next game. And then, of course, we have to thank uh, our team our very own Queen Victoria. Thank you, Victoria. You're very welcome. I'm a little bit concerned about this naughty corner that I'm hearing about, though. I'll explain. There's uh, reverse parenting these days, and uh, (laughs) I'm going to have to have a word with these two when we've gone offline. And, of of course, we also have to offer thanks to our captain, Walter Smith. Thank you, Walter. Thank you for contributing to this pod. Are you going to be able to join us for the next one after Shakhtar? Oh, I do believe so. I do believe so. So, you know, hopefully we get three more points in the Champions League and uh, onwards and upwards to better things in very cold conditions. Okay, guys, you can find us, our pod, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music and all the usual apps. Please tune in again on the next pod after the Shakhtar game. And so until then, have one on us. And of course, as we always say, up the blues. I am a lineman for the county And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for a 
vacation.